0: the rule of our Holy Father, St. Benedict, chapter the 30th, de pueris minore etate qualiter corripiantur, how the younger boys are to be corrected. Every age and understanding should have its proper measure of discipline. As often, therefore, as boys, or others under age, or unable to understand the greatness of the penalty of excommunication, commit faults. Let them be punished by severe fasting or sharp stripes, in order that they may be cured. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. And so we come today to the last of the eight chapters of Saint Benedict's Penitentiale. When we began these chapters, you will recall, I said that in order to understand them rightly, we had to read them all in the light of the last phrase of today's chapter, the 30th, ut sanentur, in order that they may be cured or healed. St. Benedict would have the abbot collaborate in all things with our Lord Jesus Christ, the Divine Physician. They that are whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the just, but sinners to repentance. One understands why St. Aylred, the abbot of Rivals, known as the Bernard of the North, was wont to pray. Grant me, Lord, through your grace that is beyond our understanding, grant that I may bear their infirmities with patience, that I may have loving compassion for them, that I may come to their aid effectively. Taught by your Spirit, may I learn to comfort the sorrowful, confirm the weak, and raise the fallen. May I be myself one with them in their weakness, one with them when they burn at causes of offense, one in all things with them, and all things to all of them, so that I may gain them all." Uh, Again I send you to uh, the pastoral prayer of St. Aylred. It would seem that the 12th century Abbey of Ribbles illustrated well the mind of St. Benedict. For St. Aylred used to say, It is the singular and supreme glory of the House of Rivals that, above all else, it teaches tolerance of the infirm and compassion with others in their necessities. All, whether weak or strong, should find in Rivals a haunt of peace, and there, like the fish in the broad seas, possess a happy, welcome, spacious peace of charity, the happy, welcome, spacious peace of charity. Monasteries no longer have little oblates, boy monks, offered to God by their parents and thus enrolled in the school of the Lord's service. We do, however, have boys in each one of us. There is, I think, in every man uh, a part of himself that hasn't grown up, a little boy. The little boy may be fearful, he may feel rejected, he may be apprehensive of new things, Uh, he may be uh, afraid of relationships, he may be fearful of authority. He may want at times to run away. He may want to uh, be violent. There are parts of his life that, uh, for him, are mysterious and uh, cause anxiety. So don't think that you leave your inner little boy at the door when you come to the monastery. He enters with you. And uh, when I accept a man, I accept the little boy inside him. And that little boy, too, has to be allowed to grow and uh, develop uh, in the happy, welcome, spacious peace of charity. Uh, sometimes men come to the monastery thinking that they have it all together, that they're put together very well, that there are no messy bits, uh, nothing that hasn't been addressed and taken care of. And then after a month or two or three in the monastery, a man begins to discover uh, his uh, inner little boy who's afraid and anxious and looking for approval and afraid of correction and uh, immature uh, emotionally. Uh, and. that that can come as a shock, because in the world uh, a man can run away from his inner little boy. Uh, There are a lot of diversions. Uh, If one is feeling fear, or the need for approval, or anxiety, uh, one can uh, self-medicate, or run off uh, to see a a film, or to um, go to a ball game, or to go out for a drink or to go out to dinner, or uh, do any number of things that distract one from that uh, inner malaise. But in the monastery we don't have these options. And so in the monastery, a man is obliged to uh, confront the little boy inside him and befriend him, and befriend him, and say to him, "Look." I give you my hand in friendship, we can work this out. So when I accept a man, I do it fully aware that sooner or later I'm going to meet his little boy. That's that's part of growth in the monastic life. And there are days when a monk appears, a paragon of monastic virtue, and all grown up and uh, untroubled and capable of facing any situation without becoming anxious or ruffled. And there are other days when the the mask, the appearance, just falls to bits. And I I consider such occasions moments of grace. It's a good thing when the mask falls to bits and when a man is obliged to see himself as he is. so while well, well, we no longer have little oblates, boy monks, we do have men who are struggling to grow up. Uh, don't think that because you've reached a certain uh, chronological age, you're all grown up. Don't think because you've completed a certain course of study, or because you have certain skills, uh, or because you've uh, uh, had, because you've had experience of life in the world that you're all grown up. Growing up takes a lifetime. Uh, For this reason, uh, chapter 30 cannot be discounted. It contains two important principles. The first is that every age and understanding should have its proper measure of discipline. There are brothers who, for various reasons, suffer a kind of arrested emotional development. Other brothers enter the monastery with unresolved conflicts. Still others bear the scars of rejection, abuse, and a dysfunctional home life. Again, you don't leave these things at the door. More often than not, there is in each of us at different seasons of life, a little boy in need of affirmation, firm discipline, encouragement, and correction. Not all are capable of grasping the value and significance of the whole observance immediately. It takes time, a lifetime, to make a monk. I know of one case uh, where a, a brother... Uh, was outwardly the most punctilious and observant and rigorous of monks. And inwardly, he was insecure, fearful, aggressive sometimes, unsure of himself, and he would compensate for his um, inner sufferings by applying himself to a very rigorous observance of the rule, so that outwardly he was keeping up appearances and uh, trying to show uh, everyone uh, what a good monk uh, ought to be. And uh, this this particular brother, uh, Would occasionally uh, suffer a kind of breakdown when the outer observant monk who was flawless, uh, never showed any weakness, could observe uh, everything in the life uh, to perfection and then some, when all of this would break down. And then he he would cry and fall apart and uh, then put himself back together and continue uh, the the uh, really the, the uh, dissimulation of his brokenness. And unless a man is willing to accept the broken bits, the messy bits in himself, um, he can't. He will not be able to persevere in the monastic life it's it's not enough to keep up uh, the outward appearances of uh, monastic perfection one has to come to terms with all that is unresolved and messy and painful inside in in, in the case of this particular brother he made several attempts at monastic life and in the end had to be sent away from the monastery um, because uh, there was a conflict between the ideal monk, he had to be this ideal monk, and the poor little fellow inside who uh, had all sorts of needs and questions and fears. So it's all right to come to terms with the little fellow inside. In fact, that's necessary in order to go forward. You're not going to leave the little fellow behind. You're not going to lock him in a closet. You're not going to leave him behind. He's going to follow you until you pay attention to him and give him your hand in friendship and begin to sort things out with him. Um, This is why uh, in Benedictine life there is a readiness to adjust objective standards of discipline to the age and understanding of individuals. It cannot be a question of one size fitting all." <clears throat> uh, we see this in, in some modern institutes that don't have the wisdom of the holy rule um, to guide them. Um, they put great emphasis on outward appearance, on image, image. and then they market the image. Um, and this this is I think one of the one of the downfalls of modern institutes um, that are in some way trying to secure their place in the sun uh, their place in the church, and to demonstrate that they have it all together, uh, whereas the holy rule invites us to see that we don't have it all together <laughs> that's why we have chapter seven of the holy rule, and some of these new institutes would do well to um, put themselves in the school of the monastic tradition, uh, which takes into account um, human weakness and gives a man um, every opportunity to uh, become whole, admitting that he's not whole uh, at at the beginning of the monastic journey. The second principle is that any disciplinary measures taken are taken for the sake of a monk's inner healing, in order that they may be cured, ut sanentur. Monastic discipline is curative, not punitive. And in the noblest sense of the word, this is a word that's much abused and bandied about, but it has a proper sense that's noble, therapeutic. The Abbot is obliged to meet each of his sons as they are, and not as he or they themselves would want to be. No one among us is entirely free of immaturity, selfishness, willfulness, and distorted perceptions. The Abbot is to apply the discipline of the Holy Rule wisely, firmly, and compassionately, always Utsamentur. The observance of the holy rule is at the service of life, and of life in abundance. I am come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. John 10. And, fittingly, uh, today is the feast of a little oblate of ours, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. As I'm fond of reminding the Dominicans, he may be your brother, but he's our son. (laughs) So that the angelic doctor... Uh, began his uh, uh, his ascent to holiness in the cloister in Monte Cassino as a little oblate under the rule of Saint Benedict, and uh, I, I think it's 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 the glory of the uh, of the Order of Saint Benedict uh, to have um, furnished little Thomas uh, with uh, the first elements of what became. Uh, great learning in the service of the truth and of course we're blessed to have our own uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas among us and uh, since clothing Brother Thomas Aquinas in the habit I'm discovering more and more just how fitting it was uh, that I gave him uh, the angelic doctor as his patron when I when I chose St Thomas Aquinas, it was principally in reference to the Most Holy Eucharist, and uh, and this this remains, of course. But I think that Brother Thomas Aquinas, as he grows, uh, as the outward man grows, and as the inner little boy grows in our life, um, I think Brother Thomas Aquinas that you will discover in your, in your holy patron, um, one who will, who will walk with you and enlighten you and teach you and intercede for you, uh, I'm, I'm delighted uh, that we have a Brother Thomas Aquinas, uh, because I think that um, your, your presence in our community is a reminder in some way. Of that providential role given St. Thomas Aquinas in the life of the whole church, and the monastery is a microcosm of the church. So we have you among us, dear son, um, to remind us of the particular grace of St. Thomas, and I'm sure that Father Thomas today, is also his onomastico, Father Thomas will uh, preach to us today, as preachers do, uh, about uh, the particular grace of. Of Saint Thomas, so you have this unique gift today of having Mass in the Dominican Rite, celebrated by a friar preacher, with a sermon by a brother of Saint Thomas Aquinas. It doesn't get any any better than that on one's uh, name day.